Hey, welcome back to another episode of The Russians. Hi, hello. Uh, today we have a return guest, a repeat guest on uh, for you today, uh, Anthony Galuzzo. An expert. An expert, yes. And we have a, a, re- a bona fide expert here um, who's, um, you know, who, who lectures at the New School and he has, you know, his uh, interests are basically on early American and romantic literature and increasingly about how those things intersect or kind of inform uh, environmental politics and, um, and you know, ideas like degrowth and just generally the politics of technology and, and life in general. And so, um, you know, Anthony actually has been working on this thing for a while. We even, I think, uh, talked about it a little bit on the previous episode that he was on. Um, and this sort of, uh, uh, I mean, a kind of a political tract about uh, Zardos, the, 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 the Borman film from the 1970s, and about how that intersects with all sorts of political uh, and ecological thinking that he's been doing. Um, and finally, his, uh, it's being published as a book by Repeater um, slash Zero Books, and it's going to be out in December, I think, of this year. And it's called Against the Vortex. And uh, this is what we're, you know, uh, having him on today to talk about. It's it's a it's a it's an interesting, great book that I don't know. Like I, to to categorize it, it starts out as essentially as a review of Zardos, this <laughs> uh, kind of a flop from the 1970s that became a cult classic, and then it develops into this critique of um, various strains of. Um, you know, uh, utopian like, uh, thinking, utopian right? thinking, and you know, a, a critique of various uh, uh, looks at uh, uh, critiques of various you know p- t- politics of technologies and uh, the way that people approach them, and then it evolves even you know, on a, you know and on a greater level to essentially a kind of a personal political manifesto. You know, uh, Anthony's personal political manifesto. It's a great read. So anyway, welcome back and <laughs> thanks, uh, thanks for thanks. coming on. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's an extended introduction for you. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't. I guess uh, you know, uh, it's it's a strange it's a strange piece of work uh, from even from in terms of the stuff that I've written. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, I'm dealing with the film, but I'm also effectively sort of using the film as a as a jumping off point. Um, like. I, Part of it, and I know you, you just you just looked at that. It's looked at, so I'm curious to actually hear what, what you think. But part of it is is his, historical, right? I mean, there's a sort of a, a cultural history, and I'm trying to ex- use the film to sort of excavate um, what I call uh, qu- critical Aquarianism, like a particular segment of of the counterculture. Um, that that I argue Zardoz is a sort of an artistic example of, and that includes a particular set of thinkers. I'm trying to sort of, I guess, complicate the you know the sort of, some of these popular uh, narratives about the '60s, about this sort of these monolithic monolithic accounts, of, you know, the counterculture, and then. But I'm also then linking it up with, you know, I'm also making an argument for the the importance of. Of, of these strains of thought for some of the problems that we're dealing with today. So let me, let me ask you, cause I mean, it's kind of a, yeah, it's a, like you said, it's like a very, uh, it's a kind of a weird work and interesting and, 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 and somewhat convoluted sometimes just because it's, a, you're dealing with very complicated, intersecting, contradictory th- strains in, 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 in the culture in America and, in, uh, and sort of Western culture. 
and things like that. I mean, why did you choose Zardos as a way of, as like the central thing that you pin everything on or that you, that you used to frame the discussion? What is it about that film that, that I don't know, appealed to you? I don't know. You know, I, you know I've, I mean, uh, you know, I'm still sort of undecided as to whether it's even a good film or not. I mean, it's just, it's just a really bizarre artifact. I think I probably saw the film for the first time I don't know. I was like very young. I was in high school. I had a good friend. This this guy, Chris Ketchum, actually, who's like this environmental activist writer now. Um, we had these hippie parents. And uh, I don't know. We used to go over to his house in Brooklyn Heights and we do a lot of drugs. I think that's like it could really lends itself to that, that kind of viewing. But the, sort of the images stayed with me. I, I know Chris, actually, he tried to score some drugs off of me um, a couple I don't know, about 60 oh, years right. ago or five yeah. years ago. Um, why why have, would you have, think you'll have We have common friends, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm... <laughs> well, just because we, 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 we have a common friend, like a good friend who's in common, and I think he knew that I had some drugs oh. that he needed, and so he was like, just hit me oh, up by email, you know? With, with like Did no, you no, give him? No proper introduction. <laughs> it's pretty funny. What's that? Did you give him the drugs? No, because I, I didn't have any. You know, I needed them for myself, those drugs. Um. So... <laughs> I was also I'm working on a to, book. So. To hear that things really haven't changed with him. I, I guess he's like living off, kind of off the grid somewhere in the middle of the Catskills now. <laughs> I hear. I don't know. I mean, I see that he writes and, you know. But, okay. Um, but I don't know. They, those images stuck with me. It's, it's like this strange sort of phantasmagoria, you know, and some of them are absurd. I mean, I think, you know, Zarda sort of persists in the popular imagination as this series of these sort of, sort of memes, right? Like Sean Connery in that ridiculous outfit, that red leather <laughs> outfit. And, and, and yeah. Like, Yeah, like a thong, thong, like a bikini thong or something, full thong body bikini thong. Stone yeah. heads. But, you know, <laughs> like, I, over the past several years, you know, I've been, you know, looking at a lot of, uh, you know, both intellectual work and sort of, you know, imaginative work from the period. Um, you know, these are the thinkers that, that come up a lot in, 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 the, in the manuscript. People like, and, you know, people like Ivan Illich. Um, People like, I'm going to talk a bit about like Norman O'Brown. Um, and, you know, you know, it's, and I don't know, maybe this is an imaginative leap on my part, but it seems like the film, you know, to a certain extent sort of crystallized a lot of these sort of ideas and motifs that I was actually seeing in, in some of the, some of these, these work, these philosophical and political um, works from the time. So, You know, one of the things I guess I was trying to do, and a lot of this got excised actually from from the manuscript. So the manuscript was originally something like twenty five thousand words, and it's pretty much it was cut down to like I think it's sixteen at this point. And I think I mean it was probably a, a good editorial decision because some of it was was too academic. There's this whole sort of section on Walter Benjamin, but you know Walter Benjamin has this idea of like constellations like think you know putting sort of different thinkers and artistic works in juxtaposition um with each other and i guess one of the things i'm trying to do here is sort of trace a sort of an intellectual and artistic constellation from the late 60s early 70s and, and zardoz is a sort of this interesting sort of uh cinematic artifact that i think sort of I don't know, visualizes, crystallizes a lot of the sort of ideas as well as the sort of anxieties and desires um, of that period, which I think, yeah. uh, you know, you might, and I think that is, are, are again, relevant today because a lot of, a lot of it has to do with 
ecological crisis. I mean, there are a lot of concerns about population or overpopulation um, at the time. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know what's interesting? Sorry to interrupt you, but like Vortex, um, I only, I think, watched Zardos because you were writing about it. So I've never, I guess, heard of it, even though I was kind of like a cinephile. But the Vortex is very similar to Elysium, you know, like the yeah. newer film of Neil Bloomkamp. Did you like that one? That was well done. It was kind of against Vortex slash Elysium as well. Yeah, I, didn't, I mean, it was all right. I didn't think, I mean, it was, I, I, didn't, I didn't, I don't remember being particularly impressed with it as a, as a film, but I only, I saw it in the movie theater, so I, I would have to, I would have to watch it again. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is, it's, uh, I think, I think Elysium is a much more kind of simplistic, it seems like, uh, much simpler, anyway, because yeah. it's just really about like, you know, p- providing, you know, medical, you know, Medicare, it's like a Medicare for all film. No, but what's interesting, just the word, yeah. it, the no, same. But, yeah, that there's this elite society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, That but, exists outside but of But the basically vortex in, the in Zardos has, is like basically more like, it's almost like this networked AI, right? I mean, that's, 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 that sort of keeps these people alive and kind of repro- provides them with eternal life. And if you die, it sort of restores you, right, from... <laughs> From the sort of memory banks that you know that are kind of decentralized and kind of held, you know, held in this kind yeah, of like society. Yeah, they're like these. these really like, no it's like a commune, yeah. and it's all organized under the auspices of this, um, like this sort of supercomputer called the Tabernacle. So sort of religious imagery, and like uh, you know, and and uh, you know the, the the inhabitants, these these human beings who call themselves, you know, they're the Eternals or the, or the Immortals. Um, you know, have essentially achieved something like the singularity fantasy that everybody talks about now. And the, the immortality is mm-hmm. such that, you know, they, you know, all of this sort of genetic, inf- their genetic information is stored in the computer's bank. So, you know, I mean, the conscious, the individual consciousness is just transferred from one body to the next. So it's a kind of, I mean, there are all these sort of really weird images in that movie where they put the body with those bodies grown in those tanks like when um yeah but you know but the one thing we the thing that one thing that we learn over the course of the film is that there's this sort of subtle degradation going on from one copy to the other um and hence you, you get these sort of mm-hmm. these, these populations of people who are apathetic they're essentially like semi-catatonic um yeah <laughs> i can relate <laughs> yeah even in even I'm, one I'm life there. is good you know, I guess, that, yeah. I, you know it's, it was an uh, interesting yeah. thing I guess you know Borman yeah. you know it, it, it's, a, it's a very strange career right because the movie he did prior to Zardars was Deliverance and uh, yeah. you know he the idea for the, his original idea for and then he was going to do uh, he was trying to do a, an adaptation of um, The Lord of the Rings which would have been weird. It never, you know, it never came together. He also said that he didn't, he didn't like Tolkien, too, too simplistic, too conservative. And then he came up with the idea for Zardoz, and it was supposed to be set like maybe like ten years in the future. And it concerned like some a runaway who ends up in a commune in Northern California. And he went up to Northern California, and he was like looking at some of these communes, and he had a very sort of strange reaction to it. I mean, he's like, oh, there's something sort of antiseptic about them i I wouldn't i don't when i think about like hippie communes in the 70s i don't think of them as being antiseptic but it's almost like 
That was an interesting. That was an interesting comment that I yeah that you yeah, wrote that about. He said he, sterile. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah, like that. He there, essentially he was saying that there like not there was no life there, right? There were yeah. there, they weren't. Did he did he elaborate on that or not? It was it just like that one kind of thing that he he never really elaborated what he meant by that. He connects it in in one of these interviews to kind of like a what I think is sort of a, a technocratic mindset. It's almost as if he he got something at the time about what now gets discussed. Um, in terms of like the origins of like, you know, cyber culture, like the California ideology, right? How, mm-hmm. you know, that came out of yes. at least one segment of, of the counterculture, like Stuart Brand and all of that. And, you know, Stuart Brand actually um, thought that, the, the, that those forms of communal social organization um, would, uh, would, you know, are, 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 would be well suited to what was then a very sort of nascent like networks or internet technology. Right. So, I mean, he saw it in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, sort of technological transformation and, and, and Borman sort of, you know, seemed to he, he seemed to have gotten the same. He, he, he saw that to a certain extent, because I, mean, I think that it's pretty impressive, I got to say, you know, for someone to see it that early. Um, in, also, in, who is it? Just a filmmaker yeah, who's just a filmmaker, director. You know, it's like, you know, these, these like as Daniel likes to point out a lot, like you know, directors <laughs> yeah. aren't always the most perceptive people, you know, <laughs> they're not intellectual, <laughs> like not intellectually, you know. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it is interesting because what he's what he's what, that 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 description that he gave is basically, you know, like someone like um, Fred Turner, you know, who's at right. Stanford, you know, <laughs> yeah, this yeah, whole yeah. book from, you know, from counterculture to cyberculture. And like it basically kind of expands on this kind of throwaway line that Borman gives in an interview, right? It's like uh, describing how a lot of these a lot of these um, communes were actually very technocratic and very obsessed with rules and and and, and regulated and regimented and and oppressive uh, and too, oppressive, right? you know. And yeah. so they weren't like freewheeling in the sense that people think. Uh, you know, I don't know. There's like a there's like a kind of a, a stereotype that people have and about that. You see that, that in the yeah. way that. I mean, the way that he depicts, I mean, you know, the film ultimately, you know, it was supposed to be set in the immediate future and then it becomes set like hundreds of years in the future after this, you know, sort of catastrophe. But I mean, the way he depicts the society of, of Eternals in the vortex is, is sort of interesting, right? Like it's, it's at least it seems like it's super superficially matriarchal perhaps i mean you know it's 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 uh government by consensus but you know anybody violates I mean, it's almost like a version of like a caricature of like woke culture woke culture right if anyone violates like the the norms of the vortex you know they're sort of punished and aged so you have that whole population of <laughs> renegades right like the character friend you know, um, yeah, but I mean, you know, ideologically, the movie is ambiguous. Maybe yeah, at the time, you know, a lot of like feminist critics accused Borman of just sort of being misogynistic or it's so uh, stupid, sort of valor, you know, va- va- valorizing the nuclear family. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I don't I, I don't buy it. Well, where did they see that valorizing nuclear family? Is it because of the ending? Yeah, the, well, the ending is, is, is the idea that, oh, well, you know, you had this you had this sort of liberated society in the form of the vortex that was ostensibly, you know, um, you know, ruled by women. And, you know, they had gotten beyond like 
heterosexuality. They gone beyond sexuality altogether, <laughs> actually. And, and uh, you know, the, the films, you know, they also think that the film valorizes the character of, of, of Zed, you know, and, and romanticizes the violence of the exterminators. And then you have this, this sort of final image of like sort of, you know, the nuclear family. But I think it's a really bad... It's a reductive, well, as, very as simplistic... Well, as a woman, uh, I... I don't agree <laughs> that it's yeah yeah no go ahead. I, I just don't yeah. agree, don't agree that's valorization of some sort of nuclear family the ending it's the part that actually really stuck with me first of all it's pretty dark <laughs> there's nothing really glorious about it but it's like kind of true to life I don't know it's yeah. pretty depressing yeah it's like funny I mean I don't know what the hell they're talking about yeah. I mean, they just think that because because they liberated this sort of like sexless, uh, you know, matriarchal society and created this basically unit of a man, a woman, children, right? Like, and that's that's important. That's what's that's what's natural. You know? <laughs> yeah. As if that's not actually natural, but. you know, to have like people mating and stuff. You know, you know. But you know, just what's interesting about Zardos and I, I don't know because I watched it. I don't know how, maybe like a while ago, and I I just I also my initial reaction to it was like, oh, this is interesting ideas. It's kind of just a, a wacky seventies, you know dystopia film you know i didn't really think about it deeply but i don't know also being now we're kind of we live in san francisco and silicon valley basically the the, in the world that those communes created you know um in in, in essence and like zardos yeah. is actually a very very good um i don't know it kind of predicted silicon valley i mean it, it's it, the it, eternals it, yeah it is silicon valley it's like this perfectly clean you know, everyone here, who, like the people who are actually part of the eternal set, which are people who are part of Silicon Valley, part of the, you know, part of the that corporate world, right? And people who make good money working in that, working for those companies and living in places like Palo Alto, in you know, um, in, in Menlo Park, and you know, and like uh, um, even in some in San Francisco. I mean, it's like it's this. Everyone is healthy looking. Everyone lives for a long time. Everything is clean, you know, in these suburbs. Mm. Yeah. Everything is sex. And also, like, yeah. people are kind of good looking. Wow. Yeah. And, but, like, but, but, like, sexless, but, like, totally sexless and totally lacking life. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and back to what Yash is saying that the Vortex and the whole, like, Zar- like the world of Eternals from the Zardos is actually kind of came to life here. Yes. One thing that I immediately started thinking about is, like, okay, so these are the Eternals. Okay. Maybe they can really live long. And like use all this like expensive technology that they're that's gonna be there for them, but ultimately they seem so bored now. Like yes. right now, I can't believe that they actually can or want to go on for for much longer. Do you know? Yeah, they're already bored in one for life. eternity. I mean, literally, literally, very literally, right? Like these these people are all like you know they want to like these long you know that they want to uh, you know parabiosis yeah. and cryogenic and they're fixated on the the singularity and. I mean, it's it's so, and yeah, but they're so banal. But it's not about the banality. My point is, is, is that they don't seem to enjoy it now. You yes. know, like we're here, like actually live nah. here, like yes. daily. There's no enjoyment There's no here. enjoyment. Yeah. Like yeah. there's more enjoyment in LA, in New York, but here, where's it's actually the center of this, like basically ideology, and there's an implementation of those things happening here first there's no enjoyment so when you say oh they're banal whatever it's not just banal i just don't even understand like they, yeah. who, if you at least if you enjoyed your <laughs> longevity or, but, but that's or, the film kind of gets into that yeah. right i mean the film and everyone is miserable there right so these people are eternals they're kind of they're all everyone is hot everyone lives forever they live this 
perfect kind of hippie life of like natural food uh, uh they have they have uh they're communing with their peers right they're all like it's all a communal society where they're all kind of frolicking happily you know in 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 the gardens and stuff like that but they're all miserable and in fact they all want to, secretly they all want just want to die you know that's that's and it's kind of i'm telling you it actually very succinctly describes like Bay Area no. culture today, like you know, wealthy nah. Bay Area society today. It's it's actually kind of shocking, you know. Um, well, how, it, was ba- yeah. it was based it was based on his, you know. I mean, it, it came out of his experience of Bay Area culture. Yeah, yeah. I guess well, in he the, got in it. Well, he, got it. he got it. He got it. I mean, it's actually. I mean, the film is actually pretty powerful in that way, you know, because again, I mean, you yeah. know, the the, tw- the twist being that. I mean, and this sort of goes, I mean, tie this back to this, this, I think this misreading that the, that the film valorizes or romanticizes Zed, right? But you, you find out in the film that in fact, you know, Zed isn't just a typical, you know, exterminator, brutal, like one of these, these, these people who live outside the walls of the vortex that he was in fact engineered by this dissident group of, of um eternals uh the character frayne who sort of opens opens the the film who's actually piloting the stone head um who who want to who want to destroy the vortex because they long they long to die and that 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 really the kind of crazed scene in the end where the all the other exterminators breach the vortex walls and they're all begging after after Zed has sort of disabled the the, the, the tabernacle be- and they're all begging these people to, to kill them. Yeah. Um sort of it it you know it, it speaks to what you're saying, but it also I mean it also underlines the fact that Zed is 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 just as much a sort of I mean he is also you know, part of this system. It's, I mean, the film sets up, in other words, a kind of a, it's a, it's a dichotomy, but it's a false dichotomy. You don't, I mean, you know, the world of these exterminators who are out there like murdering and, and, and raping like their, their fellow human beings, their fellow brutals to, to effectively carrying out like the population control imperatives mm-hmm. of the Eternals unbeknownst to them um, is, is, is just as much, a part of this sort of terrible system and, and Zed, you know, in bringing that system down, I mean, I think that's another way of thinking about that ending. He also sort of undermines himself. Right. I mean, he's also a a dead end. Like, you know, he's not, you know, I mean, they have that kid in the end, but the kid leaves. Um, and it's suggested, you know, actually sort of an incredible thing. I mean, it's, you know, uh, Borman wrote this kind of weird novelization of the movie um, with his with his screenwriter Bill Stair, and uh, he sort of elaborates on some of these ideas, right? Hmm. And sort of, I mean, and that's you know, I mean, they're, they're you know they're building on the screenplay. I mean, that's where you, you really sort of complicates you know or really you know complicates a lot of what you see in the film. Um, you know, it turns out that, you know, uh, the character, um, May, uh, who is another one of those, the sort of, um, eternal women, she, she goes off with a group of, of, um, eternals, mostly women, you know, to start a, a different kind of community with, 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 with presumably the brutal population outside of the walls. 
Yeah. Right. And, um, you know, so, I mean, that there, there does seem to be an articulation of a different kind of, of utopian society, perhaps one that lives within limits, one that accepts things like embodiment, birth and death. But it's sort of it's it's it's, it's certainly off screen, um, you know, and yeah. so, you know, that's the sort of third alternative that's neither, you know, brutal. Ex- that's neither exterminator nor um, eternal. Yeah, because the the, the 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 brutals are essentially kind of lay waste to this, you know, um, utopia and you know and whatever. Great, yeah, uh huh, yeah. It would lay waste to this utopia and destroy that world. But you think that there's like in 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 the novel, it, there's actually a continuation of of it, and there's maybe another society. That's 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 interesting. I mean, is is it actually a decent? Is it worth to read it? Like for fans of Zardos, is it is it worth to read the book? Is is it readable or how? Is yeah, it, it's uh, readable. It's readable. It's not like I mean, you know, it's not like high literary fiction but it's 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 well written and it's it's interesting like you know i mean you really you know he clearly was like grappling with you know these these various ideas um i mean you know the film is interesting to me because on several in several registers i think like intellectually i think it crystallizes a lot of um these debates about you know regarding you know, the limits to growth, you know, population or overpopulation, the ecological crisis, like sort of these sort of these high technological fantasies of like the hyper modernness or hippie modernness, mm-hmm. like in the case of the 70s milieu. Then the, the, but the film itself, I mean, I don't know, like the way it looks, it's like it's, you know, you know, it's, it's like this series of really sort of over visually overstuffed uh, tableaus, right? It's sort of like the, I mean, he was partially, I think, responding to 2001, you know, kind of high modernist yeah. sci-fi, you know, instead you get these, these, these very bizarre, like, I mean, e- each of those, I mean, you look at these various scenes and frames and there's so much going on. I mean, I don't, I mean, when, when the, the Sean Connery's character like first breaches the vortex and they have, you know, that scene where they have him kind of like uh splayed out on a table. Yeah. And they're like, they're examining him and then you have like bodies in the background. Um, and then you have, why am I blanking on her name now? Uh, the French actress. Charlotte. Oh no. The French, the one that he then be mates with. No, um, Charlotte Rampling is English. Is Char- Char- yeah, Rampling, Rampling. Yeah, she's Why not French. I, oh. She's English. Not English. English. Um, she's she's like she she also has this like it looks like a digital display, mm-hmm. and there's just like so much going on, right? And it, there's there's almost a way in which. Like the this this sort of this 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 very busy visual field, kind of uh, it's kitsch, looks but it's it. right. It's sort it's of kitsch, kitsch. But, but doesn't it, it kind of resembles like like internet aesthetics? Hi, interesting. You mean like before, um, yeah, <laughs> like internet art before the, before, yeah. before the internet, like you know, or or just like when you think about you know you know the sort of the, the visual field the, the visual language of you know scrolling through the internet it's just it's just a series of there's there's so much going on like attention is 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 diffused it's like this kind of uh mm-hmm. there's, there's no there's this sort of blinking so it's like i i don't know there's this way in which this is like you know, modern he's, that's that's what feels modern to you or like 
kind of or, contemporary or, or, or post postmodern, post right? Yeah. That's yeah. why I think like Jameson, Fred Jameson was so interested in it, like early on, right? He's sort of like, oh, you know, he didn't necessarily like some of the ideas because the ideas sort of, you know, uh, were against the grain of his, you know, sort of Marxist commitments, but the the way that the film looked seemed to sort of portend something. I think, you know, he kind of works a lot of that out later on when he's writing about postmodernism in, in the eighties. But it seems like, I don't know, Borman is sort of, you know, against like Kubrick's like clean, like hyper modernist world. You have this sort of these, these like kind of blinking. Yeah. Like kitschy, assemblages and it's also you know different periods sort of collapse together and you start watching the film you think it's in a prehistoric Mm -hmm. past you know it's like you know and then you have this flying stone head which sort of resembles what like a kind of a an abrahamitic sky god right and then then you're in the world of of the vortex but the world of the the vortex it's high tech and yet he's also evoking like you know, kind of Victorian neo-medievalism. Like, you know, he's like, oh, it sort of resembles the utopia described in William Morris's News from Nowhere. But it's also right? a bit then, like Dune, right? Parts of it is like, is it Dune? Like certain characters yeah. in Dune seem yeah. seem kind of, like, I don't know, just visually. No, Yeah, and it's got, yeah. It's like you know, a mambo it's, jumbo. It's guy. interesting. The, the mashup of the internet is like just every, all, or just our current period now, it's just like 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 fashions and, and architectural styles and it's all together. and uh, musical styles and right everything is just sort of mashed in together and there's no real yeah and he largely yeah. eschews yeah. montage right like until the end right yeah I mean if you know that it's like you know montage being like the sort of signature film technique of you know, I mean, and like you know modernity and and you know Eisenstein like Benjamin oh montage is there's something liberatory about is associated with sort of modernist modernist dreams of sort of liberation the liberatory possibilities of of a film and the new sort of new visual you know mechanical visual media and uh, you know I mean he's sort of uh, you know I think exemplifying his visual choices that 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 has come to a kind of a dead end until the very end where you have, you know, you have this um, a stop motion sequence where they're, you know, they, they get together, they have a, you know, she's, pre- you know, she's pregnant, they have a child, she, you know, they get old, the child grows up, they get old, they die, skeletons and the skeletons, um, you know the, the the skeletons disintegrate. It's like th- this is like a this is the kind of linearity or trajectory that's still with the, with us, right? So it's that sort of you know linearity or trajectory toward toward death. So this sort of emphasis on on, on finitude and and the life cycle. So I mean, I think I, formally, I think the movie is is really interesting in in, in that way. Um, let me ask you this because I mean because you kind of use the the movie obviously to kind of inspire or to just as a launching pad as a launch pad f- to d- to discuss various strains of um, I mean I don't even know like uh, environmental politics or just you know politics in general you know politics that concern I don't know the environment but also just the way that we structure our our, our lives and structure our societies and so like 
I mean, so what are the things that, that does this film? What are the what are the strains that are hit by this film? You, you were sort of you know talking about how it like operates in different registers. Like, so what are the, some of the things that you you discuss? I mean, one of the things you discuss is like the critique of of a kind of a you know eco modernism or um, you know like a kind of uh, an idea of the critical world critical Aquarius. As, what's, you mean that? that critical Aquarius? Crit- well, I mean the, the critical Aquarius. I think are, are actually wanted to ask you about that too. But but there are people who are critical who are like approach this stuff critically. But so I mean no, just just not critical Aquarius. I mean so like what does it say about like I don't know the you know the politics of of technology, right? This movie. I mean, what are the things? Why did why did you choose it? In why did you choose this movie in particular to talk to, to talk about? You know all this stuff. Well, I think I mean I, you know I, I, one of the things that I, I, I spent a good amount of time on. I ended up doing a lot of research on was the sort of um, Malthusian panic. You know, mm-hmm. so you know, I mean, we uh, we talked about this a little bit, maybe the last time, but you know, like in the late '60s, I mean, mo- mo- most of this was due to a book by a guy named Earl, you know, Paul Ehrlich called "The Population Bomb." There was a kind of a a lot of concern about uh, overpopulation, right? So there's yes, a sort of neo, yeah, yeah. A, yeah. So, so there was like a neo-Malthusian, um, yeah, there was a kind of a neo-Malthusian scare. It was like I, a huge um, deal that book, right? I mean, it was it almost like defined yeah. the kind of the yeah. He became it, like you know. a he became like a celebrity that guy, right? He was like you know he was on like talk shows and I mean and this was a you know and nowadays you know that entire sort of way of thinking is is completely taboo on the left, for example, right? It's 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 connected to. You know, any concern with overpopulation is 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 connected to, you know, racism and a, like being right wing or something. Yeah, or? being right wing, being a fascist, right? basically wanting to yeah. like call, um, you know, unnecessary people. You know, basically like almost like a Nazi, right? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, uh, you know, and with with some, and, and you know, there's there's obviously you know basis for that. I mean, you have people like. Uh, Garrett Hardin, Hardin, who was, uh, you know, who, who came up with, he wrote an essay called The Tragedy of the Commons, and he had this whole thing about lifeboat ethics. And he was a kind of a, you know, he wanted to ultimately, like, keep people out of the United States. Like, it was, overpopulation was always, it was, was only an issue when it was, you know, brown people yes. in, in, in the former, in the, de- in the decolonized or decolonizing world. Um, I mean, you have like the even more like mainstream things that you get to hear on Fox News, like you know the great white replacement, you know, uh, right? The- yeah. theory and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, but you know, it was an ideologically. But if, if we actually sort of go back and, and look at this in its time, it was a much more ideologically ambiguous phenomenon. I mean, for instance, I mean the early women's movement was very much, you know, I mean. A lot of early feminists and birth control activists in the '60s, you know, people were, you know, were, were very much marching hand in hand with with these, with these sort of, uh, you know, uh, neo-Malthusian or population control advocates, right? Greater access yeah. to birth control, you know, liberalization or legalization of of abortion. I mean, this was happening prior to. Uh, Roe v. Wade, and I mean, it was a concern that you'd see. You know, among the, um, you know, in, in the counterculture, I mean, yeah. it's a concern that animated that first Earth Day um, in 1970. But, you know, but then, you know, in the 70s, you, you start getting these 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 critiques from, you know, like you know, black radical, black radical circles or 
um, and, and, uh, and other ecological circles um, as well. You know, the issue is not overpopulation per se. Um, the issue is, you know, production and consu- technological production and consumption in the industrial capitalist world or just the industrial world. I mean, you know, you still had a yeah. second world in the Soviet Union, um, not absolute numbers. Right. So, you know, I, what's interesting about Zardoz is that, you know, it's it's engaging with that. And there were a lot of science fiction films from the early 70s. Um, that sort of took this up. Like if you've ever seen movies like, you know, Omega Man uh, yeah. with Charlton Heston or um, um, there's I mean, the one, that one comes. There's the one that's what they, they eat. The, it's people. Uh, what's the one? Um, um, Soil and Green. Soil and Green. Yeah. There's, yeah. Um, and, and you know, I think what's interesting about SARS is clearly, I mean, you know, the whole scenario in the Outlands is that, you know, these, these, you know, one section of the brutal population, this is a kind of a, you know, sort of the degraded mass of humanity are being employed um, to kill, you know, the larger section of this, this, this greater humanity specifically for, you know, the purposes of, of population control. Um, I mean, you know, you, you learn that at one point, like the exterminators stop killing and they stay enslave brutals and they make them farm. Um, and that's because the nutritional needs of this growing apathetic population in the vortex requires more food, right? So, I mean, that's a very, very, he's very directly engaging like the, these, this Malthusian panic or neo-Malthusian panic that, you know, was very much in the air in the popular culture that sort of gets dramatized in a, in a more proving way, I think, um, in a lot of these other contemporaneous science fiction films, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, on the one hand, it's, it's, it's obviously a critical depiction of that because that's exposed as, just a kind of a, a tool of this this sort of invisible but te- technologically sophisticated ruling elite, you know, uh, you know, o- over this this sort of immiserated humanity. Um, you know, at the same time, you know that technological elite and their sort of this this uh, this sort of technological abundance that they enjoy is also sort of an object. Of, of, of critical depiction. And that's, that's what I think is interesting, right? Sort of like, you know, nowadays, you know, if you talk about any kind of biophysical limits on most of what passes for the left, you'll get called a Malthusian, right? Yeah. But I mean, Malthusianism actually, you know, is, is, is very specific. Um, actual neo-Malthusians were technocrats you know, I mean, they wanted to sort of control populate, control sort of global population. Um, you know, they weren't against growth or capitalist yeah. growth. I mean, Malthus wasn't against growth. I mean, he thought, yeah, you know, he, he actually thought that sort of hardship and poverty were spurs to growth. I mean, a lot of those arguments were actually just arguments against, you know, early forms of welfare, like the poor laws. Right. I think. I mean, I think that what, what, what the film is sort of posing a different discourse of limits um, that have to do with sort of accepting our embodiment, 
you know, accepting facts like our, our the, the fact that we're born, accepting our finitude um, and accepting, I think, our, our connection to the earth, you know, as opposed to, you know, uh, you know, this this other technocratic discourse of limits, you know, they, I think it gets associated with neo-Malthusianism. So I, that's I mean, I don't know if that was not necessarily clear, I'm just sort of riffing on it, but I think. Yeah. That's one of the things that sort of interests me about it, right? It's like, it's on the one hand, it's sort of, it's, it's a critical depiction, I think, of, you know, technocratic neo-Malthusianism, right? On the other hand, it, it's sort of, it's, it's sort of posing another, another form of, of limits and self-limitation as, as the key to human flourishing, um, and do, do you feel then it relates to what you're writing about, like first alienation and second alienation, that this one deals with basically kind of getting rid of first alienation? Um, well, I mean, I think the first alienation, the second alienation, thing, like I don't like I, I guess when I was I'm sort of talking about that, I mean, you know, I think. Uh, point that I make at some point in the text is that, I mean, human beings are, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a primitivist, right? I don't, and I don't, you know, I don't think that human beings, you know, could just sort of become as, as animals again, right? I mean, you know, there's something sort of distinctive about human beings. I mean, human beings are, you know, I, I use this figure of the, of the centaur, right? That we're sort of, you know, we're a relatively underdetermined kind of animal. I mean, some people would say an invasive species, but, you know, and that, you know, so, you know, we, you know, as opposed to, an, you know, an overdetermined instinctual program and we sort of have these extra genetic means of, you know, we create a second nature. So language, tools, and we're sort of caught between, you know, the first nature, the fact that we are... Well, no. we're like both animals and, and gods. Like I would put it in simpler terms if you want to talk to <laughs> like non-academically, yeah, right? We can't be both. Some people are like more to, yeah. more one or, or another. <laughs> well, like this, you know, this this book um I mentioned in the in the essay, this Ernest Becker book, The Denial of Death, which yeah, I read it. like kind of a Yeah, I remember I think what is he he says we're 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 like kind of angels with assholes or something mm-hmm. like that yes yes that's uh, his thing I, I think it's brilliant gods gods that well, shit <laughs> yeah and i think i think you know i think the, like this sort of when we think about like these sort of what mo- these modernist sort of ideologies they want to completely you know they want all god all angel they want they want to completely subsume and eviscerate that that first nature you know it should be all um Second nature. And I think my, my point is that, you know, I mean, we have to sort of embrace uh, the doubleness as, as opposed to reifying the uh, reifying that doubleness as a duality with one sort of master term over the other sort of, you know, inferior term. Um, and I think I mean, I think that's one of the philosophical points that that Borman is getting at. And I think. I don't know. I mean, you do you do see this in a lot of you know. I mean, I think 
Beckers is trying to get at that. I think obviously Norman O'Brown I mean, sort of talks talks about oh the sort of the, re- the resurrected body. How do we reintegrate the death instinct with the life instinct um, and embrace embodiment? I mean, I think this seemed to be something in the air, particularly amongst a certain set, you know, within uh, within the counterculture. So I think, I mean, I think that's one of his his. His philosophical points, I think, you know, how does that how does that tie in with the ecological stuff? I mean, I think that kind of reintegration is would be a significant component of trying to craft a more ecological civilization, because an Mm -hmm. ecological civilization is one in which, yeah, I mean, we have to accept, you know, our limits, our our animality, um, all of these sort of aspects of ourselves that are, you know, I mean, in the West are just, you know, denied, denigrated. I mean, going all the way back, you know, sort of Platonic Christianity and Gnosticism, but in the modern period, you know, it takes on a more sort of techno-scientific cast. Um, Listen, could you, because in your, um, how to track that, I don't know, (laughs) what do you call it, book, essay, you frequently use these terms that are obviously they're opposing each other, critical Aquarius thinkers and then Promethean right the Promethean line of thought and yeah could you talk about it and also like um I mean I agree with you but I just wonder how you how you actually talk about it outside of just uh referring to other other thinkers because you say basically that the Promethean line of thought um that is definitely predominant in Silicon Valley and all that it basically mistakes transcendence and immortalism for emancipation you know, yeah. So, and and the critical Aquarius, they do not. They basically see emancipation um, outside of this. Um, they accept death basically <laughs> as part of a, I don't know, emancipatory thing. So, yeah, could you talk about this? Because you kind of frequently uh, go back, um, repeat like those sort of ter- like ideas in your essay throughout. Well, I think that, you know, I mean, uh, one of the way, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, and this is just sort of part of this like secularization narrative, right? Like, I right. mean, you know, as opposed to just thinking about, you know, the sort of uh, the displacement of older religious ideals. And again, I mean, this is this is a Eurocentric narrative, but I mean, insofar as, as, as Europe sort of colonized and transformed the world, I mean, I think it's had, you know, global impact, right? So it's like, you know, I mean, there's a way in which Christianity and I mean, particularly, you know, certain heretical offshoots of Christianity don't really get, they don't go away they don't get displaced by the enlightenment we think of as enlightenment modernity they just get transformed right and sort of like this 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 urge to transcendence this urge to a sort of immortality human beings transcending their humanity their animality altogether to become as gods i mean these are sort of you know sort of deep deeply baked into sort of Western cultural patterns. I mean, they get, they, they get sort of transformed into this sort of Promethean desire to sort of transform the world through technology. So now, you know, I mean, there's no God, but we can become as gods, you know, we could, we could, you know, we can achieve immortality. Yeah. But I think, but I think, I mean, you know, I think this sort of animates a lot of, I mean, I mean, you see this in, in, in Kurzweil. I mean, you see this in the f- furthest reaches. I mean, you, know, you, you see this 
you know, I mean, like yeah. Soviet cosmism, right? I mean, you know, they're, <laughs> they're, they're also like. So you know, it's 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 a kind of a, it's a it's a it's a religious it's it's a religious impulse and it's a transcendental impulse you know it's not so you know i mean there are different kinds of religious impulses the idea is to sort of transcend you know the, the limitations of time of embodiment um which is yeah which but are what only, do you which, think about soviet cosmos which do only they, gods can do right yeah, god only can transcend all those things yeah, yeah do you think soviet cosmos kind of fit right in into this promethean yeah, basically yeah. right your yeah promethean yeah i think mm-hmm I, I think so. I mean, you know, a lot of like, um, you know, the wilder sort of elements of early Soviet culture, right? I mean, there was this interest in sort of, you know, resurrecting bodies of achieving um, actual immort- immortality, like, you know, to, to achieve the ends of, of, of Christianity or Gnostic Christianity using like technical scientific means. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it sort of and it sort of gives voice to this this transcendental impulse. I think, I mean, and you know, one of the things that I I talk about in the piece is that you know, oftentimes utopia, um, and this is more amongst like kind of Western Marxists. You know, people who try to you know very much. You know, like I talk about it, people like Adorno, for example, rejected like Soviet communism. Like they saw this, they saw themselves as articulating a, a different model of Marxism. They oftentimes like they, they, they nevertheless equate the category of the utopian with the transcendental in the way that I'm I'm describing it. Right. So, I mean, um, you know, Jameson and Adorno, who was obviously shaped Jameson's thinking, you know, they always talk about this category of utopia, but it's basically kind of a religious category, right? Oh, you know, once once the sort of utopia is achieved, it's as if the laws of gravity will be will yeah. be will be suspended or superseded. And I think, you know, I think this is a, a basic category error. Right. I mean, there's no, I mean, utopia is just a it's a normative category. You never you never want a, a, a you know, complete utopia, programmatic utopia. I mean, that would be a, a dystopia. It's just sort of a, 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 you know, a space for, you know, different possibilities. Right. Um, but e- even if we were to achieve, let's say, a liberated society, a society that was liberated from artificial, you know, the artificial scarcities of the market, right? Um, all the sort of unnecessary suffering that is attendant upon, you know, uh, this form of social organization, like yeah, which is second alienation, right? That's what it yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Even in even in that case, though, I mean, there's still going to be. I mean, birth, embodiment, pain, loss, death. I mean, that is, I mean, you know, in other words, there's always going to be a realm of necessity. In yeah, fact, but, and that's, I think, a certain drug, but that's because I'm like, I mean, I'm not Soviet, the post-Soviet, but my family is, and I'm kind of really steeped in this, like, Soviet utopian thinking to some degree throughout, uh, because of my roots. And I think, like, the Soviet ideas, that they completely ignored that. Like, the so- Soviet um, project, like, it completely ignored it. Even when you kind of read Lenin, which I didn't do that much, but 
some of it it's just like i don't think they were thinking about it what you're talking about the kind of the first alienation just the idea that they're still suffering there's body there's there's just mortality and there's just you know boredom, stuff of life that know. has not, and boredom potentially <laughs> if you let's say already have plenty of People, things yeah, killer and, instincts you know yeah yeah, like, yeah. Uh, violence just yeah. yeah all that stuff that has nothing to do with just uh what do you call it how you allocate resources you know <laughs> yeah uh, what, what well, do you I, think because uh, that's like it's so weird i don't know if um I, I just let me finish my thought basically uh western marxists that um kind of were in awe of soviet union uh i mean throughout its existence or at least till stalinism i i'm kind of a bit surprised because i'm like okay but it's just bizarre that's like that project to some degree completely overlooked a lot of <laughs> a lot of things that are so seem to be essential and unavoidable yeah i mean uh, you know there were like i, I mean I, I always that bit um about the writer platonov is that you say his Pla- name? platonov so I, I mean, I haven't. I mean, I, I guess I just heard that there's they're actually translating that book Shep Shevinger, which mm-hmm. I've, I've only read about. Um, it seems like I mean he ends up as a as a kind of a, a, a dissident, right? In the 30s, I and mean, he started out as a fairly he was like pro Bolshevik, yeah, in a way. Initially, in a, in a, initially. But then he but then he he became sort of disaffected by it, and. Yeah. You know, he writes these sort of, I, I, again, I mean, a lot of this stuff is in translation. It's like, apparently he's written a lot of interesting, wrote a lot of interesting texts in the 1930s about farming and agriculture. And he writes that book and the book is interesting. And, you know, Jameson sort of makes his point in, in a later essay, actually. And it's kind of, he's sort of, it's it's kind of an anomaly in a lot of ways in terms of his writings on utopia. But he sort of is like, oh, this is a book where utopia is not, is just, it, it clears a space where all of these, this is these sort of excess forms of uh, rep- repression and scarcity are cleared away so that people so that so so that people could grapple with i mean you know i mean jameson actually amazingly invokes like heidegger right people could grapple with being and being necessarily involves pain and suffering and death right so it's it's the point at which you know art artificial forms of of scarcity and deprivation and pain drop away, you know, but, but part of, you know, what utopia is then is this capacity to actually sort of grapple with forms of necessity, necessary kind of suffering. So, yeah, it seems like, I mean, there were these sort of dissident Soviet figures, but they were often, they had to get to a point of disillusionment with this sort of official ideology mm-hmm. Um, to get to that point. But I think to go back to your original, you asked me about the sort of critical Aquarianism. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I mean, this is uh, something that I, I sort of coined this term. It seemed like, you know, at least one segment of the counterculture, you know, very different, like from the Stuart brands and all of that sort of thing um, in the late sixties and, and the seventies were, were sort of very much trying to, grapple with these questions they you know they, they they came out of that sort of you know i mean this late 60s like you know the, the high modernist period and they sort they were experiencing a certain disillusionment with the promises of modernist ideology and they were tr- and you know and they this is this is when ecological concerns were first coming to the fore so it seems as if 
a lot of these sort of different figures were exactly trying to, to think through, can we think something like utopia with limits or utopia alongside tragedy? Like this alternative discourse of limits has nothing to do with like the kind of like the, the neo-Malthusian one that, you know, even people like Richard Nixon were pushing at the time. So, mm-hmm. So wait, and you said the critical Aquarius is just the term you coined, right? That's just basically doesn't yeah, exist out yeah. there. Can you describe like why did, why did you choose those? You know, like the, what is it? What is an Aquarius? An Aquarius I thought is it's new age. Yeah, it's yeah. A new what age, is it? Right, it's a new age type of. Um, or yeah. What's, or what's, how do you, what do you mean by it? Basically, yeah, like the Aquarius. Well, I mean, it's kind of like maybe a little bit of a. I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit of a. A joke, you know, when we think about Aquarians, you know, we think of like, you know, hippy dippy bullshit, right? And they're, they, you don't usually, you don't usually think of, you know, the, you wouldn't think of a word Aquarian um, with a modifier critical. Um, <laughs> I see. Okay, <laughs> that makes sense. But I guess, yes, I, yeah. I guess the point is, though, I mean, you know, because we were we were talking about, you know, early in the conversation, we were talking about a. Uh, you know, how so much of contemporary sort of Silicon Valley, you know, technoculture, cyberculture comes out of, you know, comes out of the counterculture of the 60s and, and the 70s. I think that's right to an extent. I mean, you know, I've read the Turner book mm-hmm. that you mentioned. Um, yeah. And I think that's I think that's there were there was a kind of a hippie modernism, et cetera. I mean, I guess my point, though, is that, you know, it seems like both the, the counterculture and the new left um, was very was far from monolithic, right? And there were just like these different different camps and and you know different tendencies, some of which were sort of antithetical to the others. Um, and I think you know there was an interesting sort of strain of thinking and thinkers, um, you know that you know a lot of them sort of came to the fore, like say in the early seventies. Who were pushing like a neo, you know, they, they some of them had explicitly ecological concerns. Many of them were pushing a, a neo Luddite line. Um, many of them, uh, you know, were were trying to articulate something like a kind of almost like a radical traditionalism. Like I bring up I, Ivan Illich a lot. I mean, he's like a strange figure, right? I mean, he was like he becomes a countercultural guru, but he's a, he's like this weird. <laughs> you know, dissident priest, Catholic, you know, yeah, who, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, uh, you know, he's got these really sort of, sort of interesting ideas about, you know, sort of tech, you know, the sort of technological and institutional architecture of, of, of the modern world. So his critiques of schooling of, uh, what we would call the medical industrial complex of the energy system, um, of, you know, the points at which like complex technologies stop serving human beings and they become sort of self-defeating, you know, and yeah, self like, yeah, great Yeah, he had a great thing about the about uh, example of that would be automobiles, you know, where they initially were like actually kind of useful. You, you could get around, you know, you could cover, you know, vast distances that yeah, were not really connected by any around. infrastructure, right? Mm-hmm. No, or like not any serious infrastructure. And then now, you know, automobiles are like such a drag on, you know, our whole society and like are such a, yeah. such an impediment to any kind of change. You know, they, they like, they actually enforce their own logic on, on, you know, on the world. Um, 
and yeah. like we can't even we, we we're almost powerless against it, right? Like uh, I really like that when uh, his, his writing about that about uh, automobiles, yeah. And and he, you know, and there were a lot of other thinkers who were writing about this. Like there's this guy Langdon Winter who wrote a book called Auton- Autonomous Technology, mm-hmm. um, and there's just a lot of these these figures who, I mean, they were coming from different places, right? Like uh, you know, a, a figure like. Christopher Lash, who, you know, on the left today gets, I don't know, he gets often characterized as some kind of conservative. But, you know, he was actually a kind of, uh, you know, he was trying to blend a kind of communitarian ethos with certain elements of, of, of Marxism. I mean, he had a pretty prescient critique of um, what was then shaping up to be sort of the dominant strain within second wave feminism. And he sort of looks forward to the, the, the way it sort of plays into, it's just sort of expanding the capitalist model of individuality to, to um, include women. Um, you know, I, so there are these, there's a, a sort of, there is this sort of interesting sort of tendency, right? Sort of imminent, imminent critique of modernity. A lot of them are, are drawing on the, the, you know, much disparaged romantic tradition. Um, but they were also critical of, you know, you know, these other more visible segments of the counterculture itself. Mm-hmm. Right. I, Cause I think, I think that a lot of them could also see the, you know, where some of this was, was going to lead, right? The new spirit of capitalism, um, the California ideology. So, I mean, part of the, part of this is just to kind of initially sketch this. And, you know, they want me to, the, the people at Repeater rather want me, you know, they've suggested a longer, like a longer book, uh-huh. like after this, to sort of sort of map this out. And it would be, you know, and I'm, I don't know. I have to figure out. If that's that's if I, if I, I can actually do that. But um, that's what pretty would be similar yeah, though. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, a, a, a kind of you know, like basically it would be like a kind of a, a history of these of of, the, of these kinds of ideas and these and the thinkers that were behind it and like the evolution of these of of this thinking. Is that what they want you to write about? Yeah, or, and like yeah. anchoring, like anchoring each chapter, like you know, exploring like different elements of 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 this this sort of critical Aquarian constellation, you know, um, by way of a particular either literary or uh, cinematic or, you know, artistic work. Um, So, I mean, you know, I think, I mean, Ursula Le Guin is somebody that people talk about a lot now, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, she's sort of been sainted on the left, which is, it's strange to me though, right? Because if you actually read her work, I mean, you know, I mean, if you read a, a novel like like the Disp- Dispossessed, I mean, you know, I mean, I don't know. Have you read that novel? Yeah, yeah, I read it. Uh, I read it a while ago when I was probably in high school. Yeah, I don't. You know that 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 uto- that that utopia is it's a kind of a it's 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 on a it's on a devastated it's on a moon I and mean, it's a version of a devastated Earth. You know, so I mean, it's a kind of it's it's a it's she's attempting to sort of think you know, more utopian social relations under sort of conditions of, of, of material scarcity of, of limits. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, and, and this is a sort of a, a, a through line, I mean, throughout her career, I mean, she's sort of very, I mean, very skeptical of, uh, yeah, you know, the, the kind of like 
Promethean techno fantasy, the anime most science fiction, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, she had this, you know, ecological, um, you know, she, she had this sort of ecological consciousness, ecological awareness. So that, that might be, you know, that's a text that I, I'd like to write on her, some of her texts. And she had this sort of, there's almost this sort of interesting kind of back and forth of a sort with the, the writer Samuel Delaney, right? Samuel Delaney was sort of a kind of pioneering, like black science fiction writer. I mean, he wrote this long sort of a critical appraisal of the dispossessed. And then he wrote a book called The Trouble on Triton, which is a response to that. You know, he, he seems to be more in the camp of sort of, you know, sort of endless pl- plasticity. Um, and experimentation. So, I mean, yeah. that's something that I, I that that would be a chapter. I what, mean, about, another what about writer. Tchaikovsky? Because it's actually interesting. He's very much fits into critical Aquarius kind of paradigm. Because did you watch Stalker? And yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I mentioned. Tarko- I mean, I, I mean, I mentioned Tarkovsky briefly because I think that Tarkovsky, um, Tarkovsky, in, in some way, I mean, I, I, in some ways, he's sort of occupying the same role in, in the 60s and 70s era uh, Soviet Union, right? I mean, yes. you know, he or, or I mean, I also, you know, the filmmaker Parjanov. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't say they're similar, but sure. I mean, di- very, very different, but. Again, I mean, you know, this sort of turn to, I mean, a different way. They're, they're mm-hmm. doing different things, but the turn to the turn to sort of folk culture, and um, it's. I mean, a lot. It's very much. I think, you know, it's 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 very much a kind of a, a, a critical response to the Soviet flavor of 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 modernity. Well, Tarkovsky, um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's so it's so different from he's so different from Parajanov, but maybe you see something that I don't. But Tarkovsky, like directly, I thought was engaging with like this, basically, as you would say, Promethean ideas and criticizing them. The Soviet modernity, you know, Stalker, Solaris. I mean, all of it. And I yeah, think yeah, he, yeah. he was very pessimistic about this project and I think he captured but, uh, the mood of Soviet intelligentsia really really well I don't know if people fully understand it who are outside of that society when they watch it and appreciate like the visual beauty of his films because it's there I don't know if the idea is fully hit because I sometimes talk to my American friends who are sort of I mean definitely like intellectuals I don't I don't know if they fully grasp it, honestly. I, I think you're right. I don't. I don't think people get it because, like, you know, I I know all these people who are just like, you know, full out standard issue, like, you know, like they romanticize the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. They're like, you know, kind of ideological modernists, but they they love Tarkovsky. And yeah. It doesn't make it. You know, makes I just no don't sense. think it's just makes no sense. Makes yes. no sense. I mean, my only fear about writing about Tarkovsky is just there's so much. You know, I don't know. There's so much that's been. But it's all wrong, Lit. most of it, I'll tell you. <laughs> it's not good. No, but I think I mean, I, but it, it, is, uh, it is interesting to fit them into like a, because, uh, the critical Aquarianism. Yes, you know, that's, because, that's never been the done. People, they're basically working at the exact same time. I mean, the ones that you're talking about, the sort of the counterculture. And the you know, Burman, yeah. Aquarians, yeah. They're actually oh, yeah. effective. You know, I actually wanted to kind of move 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 us forward a little bit in time. and Because, you know, you do, in the, in the book, you do talk about, you know, the, the sort of the political sort of... Uh, landscape today you know that kind of touches on these things and i mean would you say that like what is the like 
the modern what is the not not modern but the contemporary like the critical Aquarianists, I mean, do they exist in the contemporary scene today? I mean, would that be someone like, like the people who you know uh, are from like the kind of this you know decentralized kind of idea of the degrowth movement? I mean, who are the critical Aquarianists of of our time and place? You know, uh, um, if, <laughs> I, you know, uh, I don't know. It's we're so, everything's so sort of political. I just feel like things are so incoherent now, right? I don't know. I mean, I feel like politically homeless myself, but uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, degrowth de- is, is interesting to me. Um, you know, I like, you know, I like Georgia's Collis's work, but, you know, I mean, but degrowth at the same time, like, you know, degrowth theorists exist effectively within the sort of, uh, you know, you know, inside or around, you know the modern academy. It's very so, academic, you know, yeah. To, it's like so they, insulated to, from from anything real. You know, I feel like I kind of I've read some of these. You know, there's the new book that came out, "The Growth Is the Future," right? That's like, um, yeah. I mean, it's just it's interesting, but it's like who are, who 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 is being talked to? You know, who who are the readers of this thing? Like, who's listening? <laughs> I mean, I, I can barely read it. You know, and I'm like sympathetic, and it's so technical. It's so. Um, it's so academic, you know, in, in like in this kind of yeah. way. It's like, uh, you know, what's supposed to be like, a, you know, an appeal to some kind of mass movement and to capture the imagination of people, right? It's like there's just, it's like zilch on that, you know? It's like there's no, well, this, yeah, yeah. This is my thing though, right? Like one of the things that I'm, I'm I think is, is necessary for any kind of, um, you know, effective political or social movement is that that political and social movement has to has to craft stories mm-hmm. myths narratives right it can't just be you know abstruse analysis and speculation and i think i mean you know i think i mean one of the one of the one of the things that i'm doing in in this in this book is you know, I mean, showing how, like, for let's say an earlier iteration of, like, I mean, these there was no degrowth in the seventies, but you know, th- these are sort of uh, forerunners. You did have these like, strange fictions and stories like Zardas that sort of almost sort of function as these sort of powerful visual emblems and myths. Yeah, um, and I think I think that's what that's what any movement like this needs today. And I think there are people like. You know, who, who talk about this, you know, people like, I mean, I like, you know, I like some of Paul King's North's work, for example. I mean, you know, I mean, the Dark Mountain people. I mean, those people got dismissed as being reactionary, quietists. And, you know, I mean, King's North himself. I mean, now he's like he converted to like orthodoxy. He's like a weird guy. But I mean, I think he's 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 on to something, though, when he talks about, you know, the need for narrative the need for myth. So I don't know. I mean, in terms of like critical Aquarians, I, I just find myself, uh, you know, I'm gravitating to all kinds of figures. Um, you know, I mean, at this point across the spectrum, I mean, I was, I was even interested in some of that when we talked about this, some of the post leftist stuff, but then I don't know, a lot of that stuff just then turns out to be just kind of, you know, straight out reactionary right? wait what I is mean, post leftist like this compact mag oh got it got it right that, but they, it's, they get ultimately get captured because there's they're, the right. they're, they're like that's a th- those things are clearly like funded by you know the right and so yeah um and so like if if some sort of someone who is 
you know, yeah, like person from the left enters that world. I mean, it's like just, but it's just natural that they get, you know, ultimately get co-opted and, and, you know, and like, it just seems to me, yeah, like I was interested in that too, but like, they just do these reactionary things, like really just simplistic, um, they just go get on board fully, um, you know, they publish some interesting stuff sometimes, sometimes, but it's like they get on board, board with the, just the kind of the really reductive culture war stuff. Do you know but, Nina Power? I think she wrote for yeah, Compact. We're, yeah, we're, we're friends, we're friends. I mean, I like, I like Nina, but... And, you know, I, I was sort of interested in, in this woman, Mary Harrington, but she's right. just like, she's just arrived at some, I mean, you know, I, I still think, I mean, I actually think, uh, you know, it's actually good to have, I mean, insofar as we could, we could classify like a Harrington as, as a right wing or conservative, it's actually good to have more sort of intelligent, like, you know, interlocutors on the other side. Um, and this is, I know that's like, you know, that's complete, uh, you know, it's completely unacceptable on the left, right? Where everybody, you know, if you if you deviate an inch from like the accepted orthodoxies of the day, you're fash, right? I think, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I thought Harrington is interesting because she she's sort of articulating a neo luddite perspective. She's got this thing about, you know, um, uh, what does she call it? Like uh, cyborg theocracy and, mm-hmm. and meat Lego. Um, but then I don't know. Then she arrives at some really strange places where she's like rejecting birth control, right, yeah. <laughs> or or abortion, and I, you know, I, and yeah, and and pushing like this very traditionalist kind of family I, 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 idea what a family is or what it sh- what it should be, and yeah, just kind of there's nothing. It, it starts out in an interesting critique, but it, it goes into just the usual kind of conservative goes into this conservative rut. It's same same with Compact Magazine. It seems like, yeah. Well, you know what it is? It's just like, I don't know. It's just like, it's just, it's just like, it's like this reactive thing, right? So it's sort of like, oh, like, you know, then on the other side, you have like the all, you know, like Sophie Lewis and this like this, this idiotic like discourse of like family abolition, you know, it's like at a moment when like, you know, the family, you know, has been, you know, has, has, has really sort of deteriorated under the stresses of capitalism. You have people on the left who are like touting the virtues of like the international surrogacy industry. <laughs> oh, and yeah. Like, you know, it's like, uh, you know, and the family is what a lot of people, including the these working class people that these, these, these leftists claim to claim to champion. I mean, it's one of the few things they have, right? It's like, you know, sort of a few islands of stability that they have, you know, a few, you know, and like, oh, let's, let's abolish it. It's sort of like, you know, you don't have to valorize the traditional family. I mean, you could say like, oh yeah, fam- families, but they could be different kinds of families. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. They could be queer families, but that, that doesn't, that doesn't completely preclude the traditional sort that's going to exist as well. And it's not this either or of a, you know, family or, you know, the village or the community. Right. I mean, it's families embedded in larger collective structures, uh, but you know, the discourse is such like on the internet, that's like, you know, it's either this really like teen nihilist, like, yeah, fuck my family, kill my dad kind <laughs> of thing, or this kind of re- react, you know, reactive recourse to, to sort of, you yeah. know, tr- traditionalism that we don't, right. we don't want either. So I don't, I don't know. But it, I don't know. It's hard, right? I, do you, who do you find? Like, I just, I feel like I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm totally, no, yeah, yeah. No, I we're have, very uh, lost. I thought, I thought you have answers because you, you almost sort of what you wrote in some degree sort of trying to be manifested, I thought. Yeah. yeah. Or like going No, there. it's there. So it's definitely have, there. It's very interesting stuff. Answers. I mean, about life with limits and things like that and, and the necessary for these things. And there's so many interesting ideas in it. And, and also, could you... Um, 
I mean, as you say, yeah, there's like this traditionalism that you don't want to, or reactionary thing that you don't want to go and fall into either. But in, you talk about how, or you mentioned at least, that postmodernism can be basically interpreted as a radical traditionalism. That's the moment we're kind of living in, which feels true, I guess, right? But what's the... Can yeah. you talk about it? You know, it's seemingly an oxymoron. But not. But yeah. actually not. It feels so, right? All this... Feels very traditional. Uh, so yes, it's very yeah. strict, strict, strict. But we're living in this postmodern kind of crazy, cha- chaotic moment that at the same time seems very strict, and which would be than traditionally because i think i mean because because there's no one tradition right it's sort of like you know and i think that you know the you know and, and trying to think about a better more you know sustainable sort of humane you know way of organizing y- human societies i mean uh, you know a lot of that will necessarily entail kind of reanimating in in a in a, in a selective way in a pick and choose way in a you know, in, a, in a, an imaginative and, and critical way, tr- older traditions. Wait, you mean like a modernist right? project? Like, let's say to counter no, like postmodernism. Like, what do you? What do you do? No, po- like a po- like a, a post like a, a, a postmodern project. Like, if we could, we're, if we're trying to sort of get out of like a kind of destructive industrial modernity, mm-hmm. we're trying to imagine like a different, you know, form of, of social relations that are more humane that are conducive both to say human flourishing but also uh, you know the you know the natural world um i think uh, that's necessarily going to involve you know um reanimating certain traditions even pre-modern traditions but that doesn't mean like some kind of antiquarian we're just going to you know resurrect the middle ages um man that's what i mean we think about po- like even those early definitions of postmodernism, right i mean it's as opposed to modernism it's getting away from the grand narrative it's getting away from the one sort of linear narrative of mm-hmm. of, of of progress right um so uh, you know part of it is sort of reanimating different kinds of traditions including maybe the traditions of of the oppressed. I mean, Walter Benjamin talks about that. And, you know, I mean, again, the the left is very strange about this, right? Like sort of schizophrenic. I mean, you know, if you mention tradition in, in one context, you know, you're reactionary and backward looking and fash, but these same people, like for instance, you know, they're, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll valorize. I mean, when they talk about, and rightly so like indigenous societies, right? I mean, you know, they're the talking <laughs> about, you know, indigenous traditions. I mean, even like it, it, it extends beyond like, right, like if in, if in one in one context, if you talk about, oh, you know, people need to develop a, a, a more, you know, intimate relationship with place and land, you know, a lot of these people immediately be like, well, you're a Nazi. That's blood and soil talk. Blood and soil, right? (laughs) But then what exactly is, I mean, what exactly animates the Palestinian struggle? Yeah. (laughs) Or what is an indigenous? (laughs) (laughs) Hatred of the Jews. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Ha ha. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. The native thing, right? I mean, these are, these are societies that are based on what relate like longstanding, you know, uh, 
historical relationships with place, with land, with tradition. That doesn't mean, you know, slavish fealty to a tradition. I mean, traditions are constantly being reinvented and reimagined. You know, I mean, there were people in the past, like, you know, Edward Said, who managed, who sort of managed to, you know, he, who, who, who managed to sort of think cosmopolitanism and localism together. Yeah. But again, that seems to be impossible now because everything's like this meme, you know, this, this like yeah. cartoon Antifa and they're completely inconsistent. That's what, that's what I was just trying to point out. No, it's a good point, but actually. It, yes. But isn't inconsistency part of postmodernism? That's part of the deal. No grand narrative. So you don't need to be consistent. No? Well, I mean... I mean, uh, you know, you could have a patchwork. I don't know if that necessarily entails because it, um, yeah, yeah, inconsistency. Um, uh, you know, but I do. But I guess my point though is that you know, I mean, one of the sort of animating myths of modernity is like the year zero, right? You know, we're just every every we, we've you know, it's sort of like we've we've superseded the superstitious past. I mean, think about you know. I mean, beginning with like the French Enlightenment, you know, these sort of critiques of post of priestcraft and superstition. We're gonna we're gonna build a completely new order on entirely rational lines. And I mean, year zero has never has never worked. I mean, oftentimes it just leads to night you know, nightmarish uh, scenarios. I mean, you know, we need we need a more sort of critical engagement with the past and traditions plural. Um, yeah. and I, I think that's, you know, I mean, I, I don't know at the end of that essay, I just, just sort of like sketch out like a kind of a scenario where, you know, I mean, what if we, you know, organized ourselves and again, this is just a sort of a thought experiment, right. Into, you know, uh, small towns and cities that are built into their bioregions, most production is local. I mean, you could have you you might have things like agroecology, so something like organic agriculture, you know, alongside you know computerized networks like connecting different. So, and I think this is offensive to the aesthetics of the hypermodernist, right? They really are. They really want that two thousand and one or the Jetsons, yeah. maybe, right? But this idea of sort of bricolage of admixture really you know, different sort of temporalities sort of coexisting in a way altogether really sort of offends their, their sensibilities. Yeah. Because also, yeah, because, because it's all seems like, I don't know, inefficient. I mean, it's not modern. If, if your, if your ideal of what a, what a, you know, a perfect society looks like, a perfect modern society looks like, it's like New York city or something, you know, it's like impossible to, it's metropolis, yeah, right? You can't, yeah, you can't, yeah, you can't, <laughs> that's impossible. It's like, what do you mean? Like, we're going to have to like, like go back to be doing kind of the brutish work, like, you know, I don't know, like spending some of our time growing our own food or, or, you know, but I wonder, <laughs> like that's insane. You're in that's, New York yeah. and then Hudson Valley too. Isn't like during pandemic, certain people, <laughs> I mean, maybe not consciously, but you know, since they started moving upstate, um, like more so, like, didn't they start doing more of a, <laughs> this sort of like small scale organic farming or something what's like the, the cat skills in the hudson looks like is yeah. is it possible to do it there isn't it already kind of happening of course i guess for the rich yeah that's the problem right it's sort of like this uh you know the price of land in like the hudson river valley is absurd right so yes. you know i mean one of the things that you 
I guess happened up here is like you have all of these, you know, like rich mocks, a lot of them out of coming out of finance and tech who, who buy up land. They have like these boutique farms. I mean, the joke around here is that like they, they're not really working farms. They're more like glorified petting zoos. <laughs> they actually, Do they have they actually Yeah, they actually hire. But this is what this is. This, this is the screw. This is the thing about it. they'll hire like actual farmers <laughs> to run these operations. These farmers ca- who could actually grow food and farm can't afford yeah. to buy their own land. So they end up in this sort of, you know, it's, it's the, uh, it's like it's a like sharecropper like or something. Old, it's funny. Yeah. Or the patroon, the patroon yeah. economy, yeah. you know, this is these, these, this is what this used to be like the semi sort of semi-feudal large Dutch yeah. landowners <laughs> and these, these essentially these indentured servants, like this reconstituted yeah, yeah. patroon economy. So, you know, the other paradox is like, you know, in order to get to, even if you want to get to something like a kind of a, a, a decentralized and more, you know, like degrowth or quasi agrarian arrangement, that in itself would require, you know, it would require something like a massive state action or centralized effort. I mean, land redistribution, right? Um, to begin with. So again, it, it's, it's, but it's hard to articulate this in the current climate because again, it's sort of, it's so binary. So who's like, listening you know, anyway like to the, this stuff? No one, you know, like who wants to hear it? You know, pretty much no one. I mean, who are you, who, what's the possible audience, right? Like it seems like it's so far away from, you know, the uh, people's imagination or ability to even, you know, like it doesn't seem like there's much of a, of a, of a desire to change the system really Mm. you know i mean it's maybe there's a desire to maybe like change a little bit of the of uh yeah distribution of wealth you know on some level you know to make you know housing cheaper for people to um you know to do rent control to increase the welfare state right um yeah there's no but there's yeah yeah there's nothing beyond that really um you know there are again there's this you know, a very, very small movement of people in academia who do talk about degrowth and, you know, kind of restructuring society that it is, so that it's not like based on a consumerism or hyper consumerism. Uh, and, uh, and, well, you but, know, there, there's yeah. a whole like, there are like these little scenes, like there's, there's a regenerative agriculture yes. scene, right? Yeah. But like, you know, again, and like, you know, or. We buy milk like that people, actually from here, you yeah. know, in, uh, for our daughter. Yeah. We buy, you know, that's in like basically Sonoma County. These, you know, they have a regenerative. Uh, dairy farm yeah what does it mean yeah. exactly regenerative How means it's you? like they are actually trying to like heal the land and 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 actually but also it's a fully inclusive right That's like cool. um fully um, yeah no mo- no no monoculture agriculture right yes. it's not like they're growing one crop right it's like you know it's like it's like different crops it's rota- rotational grazing so there's no over grazing no use and then also like no use of chemical pesticides but you know a lot of this stuff is great but then a lot of these people have like really stupid ideas you know they're libertarians or whatever I, yeah. you know it's like i you know I, I i got to know up here um some of the people around uh this farm there's a biodynamic farm here called hawthorne valley right mm-hmm. and it's connected to a you know waldorf school and uh, you know i you know it's a lot a lot of what they're doing in terms of like farming is interesting I think a lot of what they're doing in terms of, you know, education is interesting, but of course, you know, it's connected to like this anthroposophy stuff, which is just, you know, and that's not, you don't necessarily have to accept that, but then, you know, some of these people have like these sort of lunatic ideas. So it's sort of like, yeah. I don't know. And then on the other hand, 
you know, you're right. Like the, one of the reasons why I got disillusioned with like the this kind of new socialist left was that I don't. None of them really want a qualitatively different form of life, do they? They just want they just want this kind of middle class American lifestyle, but you know, cheaper and more subsidized. I think like it's like gift cards for everybody. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's that's like, yeah, like that's a, so you don't have to waste so more free time more free time right more free time to do your hobbies and um yeah and a bit more of a uh, disposable income to basically yeah but I mean I don't know don't you think this society is deranged though <laughs> wait but what do you suggest so that these people seem to try to not fully leave the society they want to or I don't know they keep their income I don't know what do they do but they want to leave in this more idyllic kind of places i understand like the hudson valley people right they actually not outside of society it's not like they live live off the land they just like having the land but they live yeah, yeah, and yeah. get their money it's like in a winery yeah me, it's like a winery yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like yeah. someone having a winery yeah, but what do you like do you have any suggestions what's like what can be done outside of this trend which clearly happening and it's not like changes anything outside of yeah i don't know i mean what's that's like it's like the d it's it's like the degrowth thing, right? It's sort of like, all right, like I mean, uh, you know, I think that they're, you know, I think that they have a, their, their analysis is right. Like we need to completely sort of restructure everything, production and consumption. It's like a, you know, radical sort of transformation. But how the hell do you get there? Like, uh, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I, there are all these like, uh, you know, gestures. Like, you know, that guy. What's his name? Jason Hickel. You know that guy? Mm-hmm. He wrote a. He, you know, he was like going on the other day. He's like, you know, we've got a. He's a kind of a a gesture toward, you know, like a kind of like the, the socialists, right. We've got to get workers on board and, you know, they're the only ones who could carry out this transition, right. Sort of, sort of like gesturing back to the old Marxist idea that, you know, it's workers at the point of production who can stop production and they're the revolutionary agent, but it doesn't make any sense in terms of the transition that he's talking about, because, what workers are invested in the industrial system <laughs> like they're not, they're not they're, are they going to dismantle them i mean you know i mean are they going to sort of you know they're invested in you know uh oil and coal infrastructure automotive infrastructure i mean this is the source of of their yeah. their livelihood like i mean so how i mean you need like a, I don't know who's going to carry out this transition. I don't know how to get there. Yeah. Like, so I don't have, I mean, we're at a kind of a, you know. Yeah. A, is it called a cul de I don't know. I, no, it's, it's like you said, like you said, I think there's, because what ha- what has to come first is like an idea, right? A, a, like a narrative, a myth, uh, a, a belief in something, a, a desire for something, you know, uh, you have to like, almost like, uh, uh, create yeah create in in people's minds the, the, the if at least if not the, you'll you'll never get to the utopia but like to want to move towards some like you know other way of life you know and it, and it just it's not there you know i mean no one really ha- there's it doesn't exist you know like there are no even movies really you know like i mean i guess like what are the some of the the, the latest stuff you know how to blow up a pipeline which is like a pretty you know yeah. pretty cynical kind of way of 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 dealing with you know the the but understandable and fr- you know d- born out of frustrations like what do you, can you do nothing you just blow something up or I don't know like there is there in like in sort of mainstream culture there really isn't anything um, like that was 
you know, yeah, like comparable to something like Zardos or I don't know, like that. Kind well, of you know, like environmentalism has just been completely co-opted by like the these NGOs like techno yeah. futurists, right? But I'm just even the even the think like you know, it's like think about the you know, it's all about it's all about like these big tech solutions, like yeah. so you know, geoengineering, yeah, uh, nuclear power, like you know, carbon sequestration and storage, like this kind of thing, like that yeah. that George Monbiot thing about uh. Is it like lab food? Uh, I don't know. I mean, these people are. I mean, it's strange, right? It's like it's like in, again. These 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 people, even though they they cry Malthusian at anybody who suggests we need to a, a different way of life, like they're the actual heirs to the neo Malthusians of the sixties and the seventies, mm-hmm. right? Because they they have this their idea of environmentalism is just a kind of um, you know it's technocratic planetary management. Yes. Yeah, well, you know, like those, those, like those neo Malthusians. They weren't, they weren't romantics. They weren't like, they weren't like uh, against against growth. I mean, yeah. they 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 wanted a form of tech, you know, technocratic planetary management of human the human population. It's like a biopolitical regime managed from yeah. the global north. And now you these these you know these these new these 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 eco modernists want a form of global you know, technocratic and technological management of the planetary crisis in order to sort of safeguard growth. So, I mean, I, that's the irony. I mean, the Lee Phillips of the world will call you uh, Malthusian if you say that, you know, mortality is an ineluctable part of life. But I mean, he th- those he and, and people like him are the real heirs to, I mean, neo-Malthusians. I mean, the, these are the eternals, right? They're, yeah. I don't know. No, no, yeah, no. It's 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 a pretty bleak picture. I don't know. Like, I guess I guess like a lot of things, you know, um, th- these new ways of organization might have to come out of necessity, right? Like when when yeah. things get really bad and people right. won't Not be able to people. Right? I mean, just the the way that the illusion that we can all live in a kind of nineteen fifties America, plentiful America, um, you know, when that actually becomes totally untenable and and people actually are forced. Uh, by circumstances to move in together more, you know, collaborate more together, you know, have like, I don't know, multi-generational households, uh, uh, you know, be, and like aren't able to move around, you know, um, you know, uh, so much and are tied to a place and like, you know, like will have to grow their food. Like, I don't know, like, I don't know, like, in, because a lot of the stuff like in the 19, you know, in Russia, in the collapse, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, like a lot of people by necessity started, started growing, growing food in their dachas, you know, and, and these weren't no longer yeah. just like a thing that you did just for fun on the weekends. Well, Cuba, that happened in Cuba after the collapse of the Soviet Union, right? It's During a, that special period, because the, the, after that, they were completely isolated. So, you know, they started, you know, yeah. one of, the, one of the, the largest experiments in self you know organic agriculture actually and self-provisioning yeah um so right. but yeah i think that's basically what's uh, gonna yeah, happen all those places in hudson yeah. valley you know that have like land i mean suddenly like suddenly it isn't just like a hobby thing it's people are actually going to be growing things out there you know and um and, in the u.s don't you think there'll be like it's like it, there's this potential for just just like uh this real big dystopian potential because you know you you have these this this like class this parasitic class of like sociopathic like millionaires and billionaires right yeah who are a lot of them are preparing for collapse and 
I, I don't know. But I, I mean, but those people, you know, once collapse happens, it's like the, you, their power their is derived not from their brilliance or their you know strength. <laughs> it's deri- or their like even leadership abilities. They're just derived from like their place in the system. And if the system collapses, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if they're able to even re- maintain power. Like, what's that? What's that? Um, what's that movie? Um, the uh, about you know the, the 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 recent movie that just came out by the Greek director uh, who who uh, you know about the the, the cruise ship. That that that. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Uh, he's not Greek. Uh, he's Swedish. Swedish. Rubenos Swedish. Swedish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Same thing. They're in that uh, general European area. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's Greek in the same way that Charlotte Rampling is exactly. French. Exactly. We're, we're really on target on target today with our uh, European. You just own. have exactly. your male so it's like, brain. I mean, but you know, like I just do think no, that. No, you know what it is. Yeah. You know what it is. Yeah. She looks. She doesn't. She look like another French actress of the time. I, I, Maybe. Why am I, 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 she she looks like a French actress of well, the time. Well, I think you said it also because he did, she did work a lot in France. So she actually yeah. speaks French. Maybe uh. that's why you thought so. I mean. Yeah, maybe maybe that's it. But I mean. Yeah, yeah but uh, I love her. She's amazing. She has uh, you such know, a singular other, face. The other, the, the other movie from the time, uh, do you know the movie Logan's Run? Yes. And it's kind of mm-hmm. hokey, but yeah. I mean, it's sort of so, I mean, I, you know. I mean, Zara's, it's interesting thinking about Zara's in relationship to those other movies are Silent Running, that movie with Bruce Dern, which are kind of like grappling with some of the same issues, but I think in a more, uh, in a cruder and cartoonish right. way, and it's, it's clearer where they're coming from in terms of yeah. these debates. Because yeah. Triangle of um, Santos is pretty crude and cartoonish. Did you like it? It was all right. Did you like it? Like I think uh, I think I, I definitely I just generally like his work so maybe I'm prejudiced because um, but yeah I, I think I liked it I I really like the Russian oligarch character it was pretty well uh, well done how he starts quoting Marx yeah. <laughs> when he's finally stranded on the island I, it was you know, it was the best of those you know it was the best of those there were a whole series of movies that were kind of like skewering the rich like the menu I thought it was the best and there was a like that was much better than the menu. I thought. Oh, I oh, haven't watched one. it. I didn't see that one yet. But I know the the plot. But you know what I was thinking. Speaking of this tradition, did you watch this movie, um, uh, La Grande Buffata? I think like the. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? It's Mark, uh, Marco Ferreri, this Italian guy, who is now thinking about it. He would fit into critical. Is Marcello Mastroianni in that? Yeah, yeah. All of them are there. They're playing themselves. <laughs> and they eat themselves to death? Correct. That is correct. Yeah, it's very... I've seen that movie. <laughs> yeah, but it's That's very... a great movie. It's a critical Aquarius thing. He is definitely is not like some kind of more like in a traditional way, some kind of like Marxist, <laughs> Marxist criticism or anything of the consumer society. It's sort of way darker. I think it's good. I mean, when is that, when is that movie from? Is uh, that from the eighties? No, I think it's seventies. It is uh, La Grande, uh, 73. That's very fitting into this whole Zardos. Oh, that's a good idea. I should look at that you know? again. Yeah, 73. Yeah. I mean, the other Italian director I, I thought about in this context is like, you know, I mean, Pasolini is sort of interesting because he's trying to blend yeah. Marxism with this Catholicism, and he's, he's clearly very invested in in folk traditions, like Italian folk traditions. So again, it's like these 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 elements that don't we don't necessarily think of as you know together. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. was trying to sort of affect. So I, I really do think that those are kind of. Uh, I mean, if you want to just talk about talking about film and then i mean and this is more like on the b movie 
right in the more in the B movie register, but some of these sort of seventies folk horror movies, right? Like, uh, like you know, like with Wicker the Wicker Man, Man. yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. or uh, Blood on Satan's Claw, and this really weird movie. I don't know. Have you seen this movie called Pendas Fen? Mm, I don't think it so. How do you actually. spell it? Sand again? Fen. You have to. Yeah, <laughs> you should watch because it's like it's so bizarre. It's P E N. Okay. D-A. Got it. I mean, it was it was actually made for like the BBC, so it was made for television. But it's like this bizarre. It's a very bizarre film that sort of engages with a lot of what we're talking about. Tries to it's kind of imagine kind of a radical kind of pastoralism. I mean, but it's got this like kind of queer element as well. But it's like you know he's, he's this this kid who has this sort of awakening to these these sort of pagan gods out in the English countryside. And so I do think, I mean, there's, there are a lot of like, um, there, there was sort of something going on in, in film culture as well as, as literary culture. It's mm. funny. All we're talking about, like, it's all kind of like imaginative kind of yeah. impressionistic stuff. It's not like some sort of treaties or like, philosophical like purely academic philosophical works or anything like that right so maybe this is the way to go i don't know how you how you capture anyone's imagination really yeah yeah (laughs) all right hey thanks uh yeah thanks anthony thanks for coming on i think it's it's about time we finish this episode up um appreciate it thank you it was a really interesting talk yeah yeah. it's also interesting that so few people kind of think talk and write about this you sort of really stand out i i hope and that you'll reach like a bigger audience yeah no and i'll try to run an excerpt you know when 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 they do publish the book um later this year uh i'll you know i'll i'll do my best to you know get it out there and publish an excerpt and send it out to subscribers and stuff so because i do think it's it's a really yeah it's a really that's great I don't know. It's an important work, and again, like yeah, like Jenya said, it's so hard to talk about this sometimes, and like I have difficulty even expressing you know basic ideas <laughs> on this topic just because it's all in the realm of mythology, and you know I don't know. It's like a, there's nothing there's nothing concrete to grasp onto, and yeah, and something we haven't covered, but you do write about it. I guess I, I completely forgot, but it's sort of central to my interest in it too. How you think about the fact that this sort of um, industrial societies, you know, of, you know, capitalism, Western Europe and America, and actually Soviet project, which considered was considered to be socialist and totally different and alternative, actually, in many ways, one and the same, and you kind of trying to create like a counter narrative to both of it. And I think to even say that it's one and the same is so yeah. radical for yeah. most people in the that it's even like just starting to talk about it is contentious. Yeah. So you're like way ahead <laughs> of the curve, which yeah. is great. No, exactly. Yeah, well, I, it, yeah. it immediately like alienates you from both, yes. like in, in the U.S. right and left, right? Yes. Like you don't completely. Yeah. You're like exactly, and I and I feel pretty alienated too. I'm I'm right there with you, and I and also like. I don't know, as like people who are like a product of the Soviet Union, you know, like because the Soviet Union did effectively like start from zero, like you would just say year zero, you're always at year zero. They sort of. Yeah, and like I have no tradition, you know, like I'm like a person with no tradition. So I'm like, I don't know, I feel like it's like the problem with like what to do, what kind of society to create. It's like I'm, you know, like I know what like, I don't know, it's just it's a confusing, it's, it's hard to think through because I feel like. You know, I come from a place that had, had totally, you know, wiped the slate clean, and I am a product but of it's that. But so, it must be project. weird, right? That all you have all of these now, like this new generation of like these 
whatever, American would-be socialists who have this sort of weird kind of like retro nostalgia for... Yes, for, for like Soviet, Soviet Union, Union, right? I'm like, and yeah. you know, I have to say like, okay, now I'm in my early 30s, but I think I kind of had that a bit when I was younger. I wonder if it's like some young person stage when you're in your 20s or something. Even I had that, even though I come from there. I'm not like American. And then it's sort of slowly, the more you read and like just learn yeah. about that society, it's really like has to, to do with sort of... Mm, yeah, like accumulative things. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, you kind of realize, well, this nostalgia is truly bizarre and wrong in many ways, you know? Yeah. So I think maybe it's just like they're young. <laughs> well, just the idea of this modernist nostalgia, it's like nostalgic for something which is, I mean, nostalgia in relationship to something which is all about like jettisoning the past. Mm -hmm. history right so it's like it, even in that case it's just like a usable tradition for them even though they identify you know right. so but it's also soothing right you. for them because if they found that answer and assure sure in it it's like kind of like easier to live because what we're talking about how lost we all are or at least three of us here is just sort of hard like more difficult mode of life or something yeah existentially because yeah. i think yeah. those people are at least whatever let's say we think they're wrong, but they feel great. <laughs> they're out there in the trenches. <laughs> something like defending yeah. something they think is just 100%. So the, tr the, tr the trenches the of yeah. like uh, Williamsburg. <laughs> yeah, the trenches. The loft, you know, they're, they're shooting arrows from the loft of Verso. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Down at the capitalist well, dumbo. Loft, the Verso, yeah. They sold the Verso loft, though, you know. Did they, you know they did? They did? Yeah, so no more yeah. dumbo? That's sad. Well, Nah, oh. yeah, they don't have that loft. So. Oh, so what do they do now? Oh, oh, where, where are they no now? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm like persona non grata, you know. That, that. We'll find out. Wow, well, there's got to be a verso, like, maybe it's like a sit-in or like an encampment somewhere, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Wait, Anthony, did you coin the term ecological existentialism or it exists? I mean, I, don't, I, 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 mean, I haven't encountered it. It might exist, but I, I mean, I... Came, I wasn't referencing anything. I came up with it. Okay, like, let's put it this way. You coined it. I really love it because it's one of the things you're sort of, at least in idea-wise, suggesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I like the critical Aquarianism thing, but that's I, was good. Really impressed, I was really impressed with myself. Yeah. That. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yeah. It is, yeah, it's a clever one. Um, yeah. yeah, but ecological existentialism yeah. is good too. But yeah, anyway, so... Uh, Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.